Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Today, I'm honored to bring you Jackie Yaney, an admirable woman leader who has spent many years as CMO at several reputable brands that we all know and admire. During this episode, she talks about the blend of marketing and customer experience and how there must be alignment between the two. We talk about how marketing is no longer about campaigns, but rather stories, brands, and journeys. And in fact, she says that brands should not be focusing on digital marketing, but rather concentrate on marketing in a digital world. Well, what does that actually mean? And what are best practices? She explains all of this and some of the best leadership advice that you'll ever hear. I promise you, in fact, I know firsthand as I used to work for Jackie. Please share this episode with others who can benefit and sign up for my newsletter at doingcxright.com where you'll get a lot of useful tips and insider information before my podcast's release. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Jackie Yaney. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to see you again. Oh, it is. And the again is the best part (laughs) because people may not realize we have worked together in the past. And um, wow, what a journey since then. So we'll, we'll dive into that. But first, please share who are you? What are you doing professionally? Well, right before your big change. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds existential when you say, who are you, Jackie Yaney? <laughs> yes. On um, the big change. So yes, I, I'm a former CMO now. So uh, I've been CMO six times and decided uh, not to continue to go along that journey, uh, basically because my husband's unfortunately going blind. And when you go through something like that, it kind of forces you to take a step back and say, how are we spending our time? What impact are we having mm-hmm. on the world? Uh, so it's been since this summer. And so now I'm on two public boards. I'm supporting the Foundation Fighting Blindness, which maybe sounds obvious, and another nonprofit called Plan International that does goal in, in girl empowerment programs around the world. I'm executive coaching a handful of people, and I'm advising a startup. And as a family, we're running a little business called Blind Ambition Fitness. So that's been fun too. Wow. A lot of purpose-driven work, it sounds like. Yeah, we kind of changed. We kind of we kind of tore up the old goal sheet and created a new one. And a lot of people are doing that in this post-ish COVID world, but it sounds like you were going that direction anyway. Maybe, but I do think COVID kind of was an instigator. It was Easter during COVID on a walk that my husband and I started saying we... We've achieved what we had on that success list from 2008, which is when you and I worked together, and it was time to create a new one. Mm. Why? Why is marketing, let's start there, has been your passion for so many years? What about it? Yeah, it's funny because I love having this conversation with you, Stacey, because honestly, customer experience is what got me 
passionate about marketing. So my very first uh, marketing role was at Delta Airlines after 9-11, kind of by accident. (laughs) So I was consulting to them and the CFO asked me to come help in a really difficult time. And I said yes. And then she asked me to lead consumer marketing. And I thought she'd gone and lost her mind because prior to that, I was pretty much what you'd call a geek. Electrical engineer, (laughs) did a lot of IT architecture work at the Boston Consulting Group, didn't know anything about marketing, thought it was all fluff. But I'd said I would help, so I, I got in there. And then what I found was that everybody around Delta was trying to do their best with their own little thing, trying to improve but nobody was looking what it was really like to be a traveler on Delta Airlines at that time across the entire journey. Mm. And in my head, I guess not being a marketer, I'm like, why would I spend $500 million on marketing when the experience itself is terrible? (laughs) (laughs) So I took most of my resource and um, people and dollars and put it into improving the traveler's experience and revitalizing the brand. And I just felt the impact and I found the passion and been doing it ever since. Mm, I love that story. And I think probably made you a better marketer anyway, because you were walking in their shoes from a, a different lens. And so you really right. looked at it from the back I wasn't and attached the to the advertising. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, certainly, I certainly wasn't. I do remember being perplexed at why the world, if you were, would hadn't connected marketing and customer experience yet. To me, yeah. it was kind of all this this wonderful intertwining. And I fell in love with the, the connection of the customer to the brand, to the creativity and the analytics. And uh, I it took years. I mean, I feel like only now are people starting to make that true connection inside organizations. Yeah. What's a fun fact uh, that people may or may not know about you? Well, I'm kind of an open book for those people that know me, so there's not that much hidden, if you will. But since we're in soccer times uh, with the World Cup, the one that pops in my head is that probably the very, in my own mind, first important or impactful thing that I did in my life was I um, instigated a girls' soccer team at my high school. So up until then, there was no girls soccer and I pushed to get that done and uh, kind of set me down a wonderful path. Oh, we could spend an episode just on this topic <laughs> of women empowerment, but <laughs> yes. that's, a, that's a different day. So let's get into the meat of the topic here, which is, first of all, let's start about marketing. You have stated Uh, on LinkedIn, different posts and comments around marketing is no longer about campaigns. It's about stories, brands, and journeys. What does that mean to you? Uh, What that means to me is that I really feel like as marketers, and after Delta Airlines, I spent most of my marketing career in B2B. There was one other stint in, um, in B2C. But I feel like we really need to concentrate on being relevant and helpful. Mm-hmm. And um, and the reason I say brands is because even inside businesses, there's still always emotions and trust. And rather than just doing demand gen campaigns and pushing your wares and trying to get people to come in, it's creating a brand that people find relevant and, and trustworthy and top of mind. 
And stories, I mean, it's your customer stories. And this is what people remember and understand and relate with. And then back to our topic at, at hand, when I say journeys, I mean that customer experience and really obsessing about what it's like to interact with your brand across uh, the entire mm. journey of mm -hmm. their relationship with you. Have you seen marketing, the way people are understanding and defining it different in the companies you've been at, Delta compared to PGI to Red Hat? Yes and no. And I'd, I'd like to believe I drove some of that change, but yeah. <laughs> inside those organizations that I've been at. But it has been somewhat frustrating to me to see, like, do you still find that conversation of they're like, oh, well, CMOs, they're either brand driven or demand driven. And I, and it's like, I feel like that's not the definition that we should be centering on. And it shouldn't necessarily be the truth, mm. if you will. So I, I feel like there hasn't been as much progress. And a, a lot of the advice I give to other CMOs is, well, the CMO role is often defined somewhat differently inside organizations. I don't want CMOs to obsess about staying in their lane. If the corporate strategy of the company is not clear, go try to chase that down and get it to happen because otherwise your brand strategy and your marketing strategy is not going to be right. <laughs> if the customer experience sucks, if your company isn't living up to what you're proclaiming out in the market, go try to help to get that get that fixed. Just staying in your land and saying, "Well, I'm just I'm just here to create demand." that is not going to be the ultimate success of you or the organization. Mm. Sales teams and marketing, from your perspective, have they worked well together or have they been siloed? I've seen some of both. <laughs> and maybe, maybe we all have. One thing I've believed um, for years is that so there's, there's some tension between sales and marketing for a reason. And it is not smart to have one report to the other. And if you have marketing report to sales, which can sometimes uh, happen, then marketing just becomes sales support. And the reason I think that's not healthy for an organization is that sales is about the quarter <laughs> and they should be about the quarter and they're, and they're driving that revenue in the moment. Marketing, half of our job is helping sales drive revenue in the more in the moment. And half is the long-term health of the organization. Mm -hmm. The health of the brand, the health of the customer experience, the sustainable advantage. There's no other function in a company that's responsible for that. So the tension and with that aspect is, is good. But the more um, that sales and marketing leaders can have common goals, my favorite experience was at this company, Elucian, where uh, the head of sales and myself, like we went into board meetings with one presentation. We both were responsible for the pipeline. We didn't obsess about what was sales sourced or marketing sourced. And some of that in B2B, because it's this very complicated uh, intertwining of sales and marketing activities. And to say that a webinar that marketing did created that lead or opportunity when, you know, hundreds potentially of other activities have happened doesn't make any sense to me. So I feel like those are fool's errands to, to obsess about those sorts of things and rather jointly own those, those KPIs. I love that. I agree with that. And um, 
I'd say this is uh, one of the first companies I'm at now where meetings are together, agendas are together, we'll go to events together and customers see that synergy and it's the same consistent message. So when companies don't do that, I think there's for sure a gap. Um, Yeah, why would customers want to hear different uh, messages from (laughs) sales and and marketing? It's horrible. They wouldn't, but yes, and it's just naturally happens at companies. So I hope that 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 is a shift in the new year for those who want to get it right. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Let's talk about, um, I love this saying you said uh, about brands are focusing on digital marketing. And you slant had a slant, we should concentrate on marketing in a digital world. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I came to that belief years ago um, before COVID and COVID kind of just smacked us in the, in the face with it, of course. But it sort of reminds me of uh, social, social media and marketing organizations. Like you can't, it, we are living in a digital world. You can't, I think it's wrong to have like a group of people responsible for quote, digital marketing. Have a group of people over here on the side responsible for social. When in fact, it needs to be an in, you know an integral part of um, of how we're approaching the marketplace. It's not a side, side thing, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, especially in B2B in-person events, things like that, that are not digital are very much a part of your overall um, plans, but you need to integrate it and think of it as how do you have your event and then follow up digitally, like connect these things because that's where people people are living day to day. Mm -hmm. And I imagine when you were at, after PGI, um, really getting close to the, like data was the product in a way and helping brands make more sense of of the marketing results. Is is that right? Is that um, well, I feel like I've gotten well I've gotten I've gotten well red hat, I guess. It's more I think just the way marketing has evolved over the past five to ten years where it has become a lot more analytical than when I started. Yeah. Uh, lucky for me because because <laughs> I tend to be more of an analytical person and I've always had to surround myself with uh, with creatives yeah. and realize the data doesn't always point you to the best mm. answer. <laughs> you need to take some out of out of the box ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, especially my last CMO role uh, was at a place called Tableau, which is a data analytics company. And so yes. that was so much fun, like living inside a data culture organization where, like, uh, you know, the 350 plus marketers all had access to data and were creating their own visualizations and uh, decision trees off data mm. they were looking at themselves rather than just somebody handing them a report and such. So that was great. And actually, I mean, people are hungry for that because I know a lot of places I, I've been where we're doing things manually. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah, you think we'd come farther along, right? Well, one of the things I realized um, working at Tableau was the tool itself is just one tiny component. It's the data literacy inside an organization that people understand what they're looking at and how to present it and how to make decisions. It's the data governance on the single source, where's the data coming from and who's who's cleaning it. 
and such, and, and the behaviors of how to use data and these, you know, this notion of a, having a data culture is 80% of what organizations need to think about, not mm-hmm. just getting a business analytics tool in the mm-hmm. hands of their workers. We talked before about sales and marketing and CX and, and how you blend that all. I realize, though, that not only are there team silos, but when you talk about data, there's data silos. And so that's a problem. Is that something that you've seen and an opportunity where companies need to do better, breaking those silos? Um, For sure. I've seen where I've seen it work the best with kind of these best uh, data culture organizations is when there is a center of excellence, if you will. Mm. Mm-hmm. And potentially somebody called something like a chief data officer. There can be different terms for it. But they're not trying to control everything. They're yeah. they're trying to make sure, yeah, the data sources are there. The data is clean. People have access to it. And then they they teach and support people in the organization on how to use that data and and spread it, spread it out. But if you don't have that centralized uh, location and team, then, then you have chaos. Then you have what we call data chaos. Mm. And I have been, you've probably seen this too. I've been in organizations and some of it's human nature. You know, people bring whatever reports and data they can find that supports their point of view. <laughs> and there yes. can, there'll, there'll be the other person that brings the opposite and people don't know what the truth is. So avoid people, data chaos and data bias. <laughs> yes, exactly. At all costs. <laughs> so CX and marketing, I had a really fun debate with a, a friend about is CX the new marketing? Is marketing the new CX? What's your stance on that? It's a little bit hard for me because it, again, it's always been intertwined and I and I think there's... I don't think one exactly equals the other, um, but I think they need to be tightly connected. And in some of my CMO roles, I've had direct ownership of customer experience. In others, I haven't. Mm. Again, back to that swim lanes doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, And I would say, like when you and I worked together at PGI, I spent a lot of my effort on the customer experience. And of course, Mm -hmm. at Delta... And at Delta, mm-hmm. I viewed myself as not owning it, but like ha- having an orchestrator role. Mm-hmm. At Tableau, the customer experience actually was flows pretty nicely. <laughs> and so I didn't feel the need to be a true orchestrator or try to own it or anything, anything like that. Just more engage with it mm-hmm. and make sure that the uh, marketing is connecting with the customer all along the way rather than trying to to fix something. But again, if you are out in the market with a message of, you know, your points of difference and how amazing you are and that it's fundamentally not being delivered, then I think as CMO, you have no choice than to partner with those leaders that are delivering the customer experience and work on on changing it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers your question, but I don't think they're one and the same. I just think you you can't be a great marketer unless you're making sure there's also an excellent customer experience. However, you need to make that happen within your organization. Yes. And it seems like you've seen both scenarios where the 
where they sit within an organization and whether CX is within marketing or a separate entity, you have to have the connection, the partnership. And what I notice when you do journey mapping and you bring people from all over the organization together to map it out, that's how you break silos and people feel yeah, empowered. Exactly, exactly. I will, you're, you saying that reminds me of kind of one uh, major mistake I feel like I made with customer experience efforts was at PGI where I went about mapping the journey but I overcomplicated it. <laughs> I remember mm-hmm. having giant things all over the wall. And, and it's, so ever since more, I've been more focused on what are some quick wins that we know we can do and where can we find the biggest pain points. And at PGI, what kind of hit me in the head after all this complicated mapping was billing was one of our issues. Like the bill that we sent the customers was very confusing and very annoying to them and a simple, simple thing to fix. So yeah. um, so I think I, I had taken it all too much to heart that I had to map out every connection point when that may not be the best. You can get buried in that and not find enough progress. Oh, I know that people are going to benefit from that statement because it, it sometimes it's hard to start because our brains think we have to go so deep, but actually just start like at yeah. any level. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but know, know the personas that you're developing it for. That's right. That's right. So let's talk about leadership because in order for customer experience to happen... With, with any kind of excellence, you need great work teams and you need a great leader. And you had posted, which was pretty surprising, that a CEO told you he was perplexed at why you put people leadership at the top of your agenda. What? <laughs> I know, I was kind of taken aback in the moment. I don't even remember how I responded because I was like, well, of course. <laughs> But this particular CEO was very into the details of the business and, you know, monitoring all the metrics and what are we going to do to fix this and what are we going to do to fix that and not spending tons of time on leadership development or how his team behaved as an executive team, things like that. Yeah, so it was uh, just the world's not completely there yet. Uh, We still have a lot of uh, CEOs and leaders that even if they don't say it out loud, you can tell they believe they have the right answer and they need mm-hmm. to tell people to go do it and people need to fall in line. Whereas I, I've never believed I have the answers. Um, at this point, I have quite a bit of experience. <laughs> so, so in my head, I'm like, well, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two like that, like those commercials. Yeah. But I do believe that if you have a diverse set of people around you of their experiences and their skills and their mindsets, and that they can, uh, they believe and feel they can authentically bring their 100% selves, that you can figure anything out together. And that's, and I've found that to be true and was very thankful I had a team like that when I was at Tableau during COVID because it was hard. And now we're all still friends and we we think back to those two, two and a half years, you know, in the heart, heart of COVID 
where it's like, wow, you know, we really did plow through some things together and probably couldn't have done it without each other. And um, I guess the other aspect of that, I don't, I consider it a privilege often, like when I'm a CMO and there's a lot of luck that kind of got me there, doesn't make me any smarter or a better person than the people around me um, mm. uh, on, the, on my team, on other teams, no matter, you know, ideas can come from anywhere, which I think I probably learned at Red Hat and, you know, with an open source culture that fundamentally believes that, that mm. any great idea can come from any person. And the CEO there also, who's a great mentor and friend of mine, he's the smartest person I've ever met in my life without an ounce of ego to go, to go with it. And he genuinely believes in his heart that everybody has something to contribute. And you could just watch him do that, you know, day in and day out. So I carried that forward and have been trying to focus yeah. on the people part before anything else. Without, without your team, what do you, you don't have a business. <laughs> and, then you don't, and then without your team, and then if you don't have customers, you definitely don't have a business. <laughs> So the opposite end of that is Twitter right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, I everything can't. you just said is the opposite. Yeah, you want to believe this form of leadership doesn't exist anymore. And then again, it's it's smacking us right in the face. My soul almost can't, can't take that. <laughs> my soul can't take that. And my soul also can't take this whole concept I hate the phrase. I can't even say it, but I'll say it. The quiet quitting. Mm. Like, what is what is happening? What, I guess, workforce trends. What do you mm. see happening next year? Uh, I mean, I do, you said it at the very beginning. People are reflecting, right, on the type of careers and lives that they, and impact that they, that they want to have. And some of it's the pandemic. I think also some of it, I think Gen Z. Gen Z is setting out to make a true difference. And, you know, they, they know they need to save this planet. And they look at my generation and say, what have you done? <laughs> yes. So I think they demand that they they work somewhere with a true purpose that's going to make a positive impact in the world where they have a voice. They're not... I've... For years, I've been, you know, trying to tell people don't chase money and power because all there is is more money and power and it's a never, never ending. You're just comparing yourself with other people around you. It's, um, they, people aren't doing that. The younger generation, I think, is not, is not doing that. And thank God, I say. So I, I've convinced myself that I'm not sure this business world that we, um, that we live in Perhaps it isn't going to see the change that I hope and dream of until Gen Zs are in charge. Mm. And Very I don't know, quietly quitting, that's a weird one to me too. Because I, if I, like you want people, you, I never want somebody miserable at their job every day. Like, so quietly quitting to me means you show up, you do what you have to do, and you quote, go home. But that's not what I'm set out to do. I'm set out that people are growing uh, they're learning, they're curious, they're having an impact, they're bringing their 100% selves to work. And so it's really sad to me that there's all these people that, and then I, I actually feel sad for the people that are, that quote, have quietly quit, because that means they feel stuck. Mm. And go find that place. 
Mm-hmm. Or, know, create I, or create it. Or create it like, you, like you've done Be with brave. the... Be brave. Yeah. <laughs> and, and things that don't exist, like you, like you did with the soccer, you know, the girls' soccer. Yeah. Like, create yeah. it if you can't find it. Yeah, that's right. Or even like this little family business that we're doing, you know? It's like, well, why don't we? Why don't we do that? I love that. Well, for all the CEOs and entrepreneurs and leaders in the universe who are listening, what's the one takeaway you want them to remember from your experiences? That's a big question. I don't know if I have the exact right answer, but I think in my heart, I would say we are not in these roles just to make a profit, not Mm -hmm. for the organization and not for ourselves that we are we are here to make a positive impact on the world and on the people around us and if you can concentrate on that and on nurturing the people around you that that look up to you so that they can achieve more than they ever thought they could mm. then that will leave a lasting impact on the world mm. and your first sentence was speaking from your heart Let's all start there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something, right? <laughs> Definitely. And my favorite question I ask everyone, if you could go back in time to your younger self, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell the younger you? Yeah, I used to for years, way too long. I wish I figured it out earlier, but I had this core belief that I wasn't all that smart, but you couldn't outwork me. And that's how I was going <laughs> to do okay in life. And I wish I could go back and tell myself that working harder than everyone is not a virtue to uphold. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come crashing down at some point. And it is not the role model you want for your kids, for anybody that's working for you or around you. So, and I'm not, I'm not, I still have some problems with with that, but, uh, but a fundamentally different mindset than I used to. Well, I think what you're saying or what I've learned as I've aged that there is, there is a point of diminishing returns. Mm Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to understand that. Yeah. And I had this, I'm a, I stress and I worry a lot. So being overprepared was my antidote for, um, for trying to get over that. <laughs> but again, there's a point where that's uh, not really going to help you very much. <laughs> yeah. And sleep well, and uh, giving your kids a bath, uh, making dinner and exercising, be, you'd be a lot better off. Mm, Self care. Mm-hmm. Learning more about that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know people are going to want to get to know you, learn more. Are you typically on LinkedIn or where's the best place to learn and see more of your content? Yeah, the best place to find me is LinkedIn. So uh, upon finishing, I've had some friends tell me, oh, you should write a book. I'm like, write a book. I'm so, I don't know about that. But what I told myself was, well, why don't I try to write some of my thoughts more um, on LinkedIn yeah. and uh, see how that feels and see what resonates with people. So that's what I've been trying to do. And I see it and I love it. So I'm, I'm in that camp. Go, go. <laughs> no, thanks, Stacey. <laughs> well, thank you again. I appreciate you. Yeah, so much fun. 
Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.